Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and back by popular demand, at least to Jews and a Gentile. Once again, the house is full. I've got three of my Jewish believer friends. I've got Pastor Matt Fry, Trevor Rubenstein, and Tom Berkowitz. And our Gentile candidate is Pastor Aaron Broughton. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, so nice to have you here. One of the biggest topics in the news today is anti-Semitism. And I would love for us to uh, talk about this today. I know it's, let's start with just a definition of it. It seems very obvious, but I want to hear it from one of you. I think very simply, Bill, uh, anti-Semitism is a word that refers to Jewish hatred. Um, People will try to break it down. I've actually had this conversation with somebody recently where they said, well, Semite also includes other Arabic people, but that's not the meaning of the word. It would be like saying butterfly is referring to a dairy product and an insect. Uh, The the word itself means something very specifically, and it's Jew hatred. Um, And that's uh, that's exactly what it's referring to. Right. And Zionism is really specific to Israel. But from my perspective, Israel is a corporate Jew. It's the only Jewish nation in the world. I know there's other citizens, but of the 9 million, 7.1 or 7.2 million are Jews. So you can be against uh, and argue against Jewish people on topics or against Israel, but this goes beyond it. It it's irrational and it's hatred and it's usually manifested by some kind of verbal or physical attack on a person not trying to their arguments but to destroy their person either emotionally spiritually or physically yeah i think the distinction between uh when we're talking about anti-semitism it sounds like what you're parsing out there tom is it's a dis- it's not a disagreement over something it's a Correct. it's a defacing of an identity of a of a, a, a specific ethnic group or, or a group of people correct and this has been going on forever mm-hmm. right? i mean maybe we can talk about what happened in the 40s if you don't mind just how what conditions or ideologies even made the holocaust possible before we do that i think what it is and it comes to human nature. If you take a look at Deuteronomy 7, 6, Moses is speaking, for you are people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. Okay. That statement there causes people to be jealous. Why did you choose them? And he goes on to say it wasn't because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That rubs people the wrong way. It's just 
our human nature, which is sinful. Why did you choose them? What did they do to earn this? God said nothing. He Mm -hmm. chose them. In fact, until Jesus came on, the only way you could have a direct access to God is convert to Judaism. Yeah. Yeah. One of the ways I've heard it put is that you, uh, uh, prior to the new covenant being established, right, where all the nations could could come to uh, God on the grounds of the Messiah, was that in order to be a part of the covenant people, it meant, in fact, coming into Israel. But I think a lot of the anti-Semitism misses the fact uh, of kind of Israel's purpose, right, that God chose them. But but there's more to that question. It's chose them for what, right? And And sometimes we get locked into uh, God chose them. And it's like, well, why, why didn't he choose me or my people? Or why didn't he choose them? And, and that kind of can stir this kind of jealousy. But when you recognize that God chose Israel as the vehicle through which he was going to bless the world, ultimately in the Messiah, then you look at Israel and you appreciate what God Correct. did with them, right? And his promises to them. And so it, it's this chosen language that can either stir appreciation or jealousy. Right. And Israel was called to be a light to the world. Right. And they ultimately were when Jesus came on the scene. I think we maybe even can go deeper. The seeds of anti-Semitism, where does it even start? Um, I was at a Bible study just the other day, actually, and I had one gentleman ask me, and we were talking briefly about the situation in Israel and the Middle East, and he said, where does this... Uh, hatred for the Jewish people come from, you know, where did it start? One person even said, I thought this uh, anti-Semitism started in, in the 1940s with Hitler. I said, I think this goes deeper. I think if we go back to Genesis 3.15. Amen. And when we look at there's going to be a, a battle between the seed of the woman and, and the seed of the serpent, basically, and that through the woman's seed will come the ultimate redeemer uh, for mankind because of their sin. And so I I would say it this way, whatever God loves, Satan hates. And so he's going to do everything he can to thwart that plan. Out of God's plan to crush the head of the serpent, he sends the Redeemer, but he selects, and this is where we get to the chosen people, Mm -hmm. he selects the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through David, and through that line comes through the Messiah, the Redeemer, that will crush and did crush the serpent's head. And so his doom is sure. And so Satan is going to do everything he can to thwart uh, God's plan as best he could. He's a doom um, foe, but nonetheless, this is where the seed ultimately starts. This is a spiritual battle, ultimately. Right. Oh, yeah. And that's why when Peter said that uh, all those who believe in Jesus are going to become a royal priesthood, a holy nation, it comes to the other child of the woman that's talked about in uh, Revelation 12. It's the Gentiles. That's why Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world. Mm-hmm. There, one supposedly uh, one fourth of the world's population, over two billion people, but they're the most persecuted religion in the world. So that brings up an interesting point, then, Tom. So, given that Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world, and uh, the Jewish people maybe the most persecuted uh, people group nationality throughout history, if we look at well, what do these two people groups have in common? It's their God. That would be the one thing that would unite them. Right. It's like if you're for the 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 living God, the real God, then everyone else is going to be against you. And there's only one God. 
in, so 1948, if we're going to go back to that, uh, that you were referring to. Bill. And I don't know if we need to. Do, yeah. uh, it was just one of those well, questions I've always had in my head. How How is this even possible? Yeah. Well, and I think we're seeing how it's possible even now in America, but uh, as we're seeing the growth of this movement. Uh, but but what happens is uh, historically, um, it's it's something that was just growing and growing and growing in Europe for many years. We, we don't hear about a lot of the other events that led up to it where uh, Europe, uh, Jewish people in Europe had, they, they, they kind of suffered a three-prong approach from the, from the states in, in Europe. It, it went something like this. First, the European countries would tell the Jewish people, you have no right to live among us as Jews. Most of the European countries established themselves as Christian countries. And then when they started, uh, when they when they had people among them that didn't fit under their category of the state religious system, they would persecute them and and tell them they have to convert. Then the, it went from you have no right to live among us as Jews to you have no right to live among us. Then many of the European nations, including England and including France and many other nations, at one point in time said that Jews are not allowed to live here. Would kick the Jewish people out of their countries, take everything that they had, and expel them to other nations within Europe. And so it goes from you have no right to live among us amongst uh, as Jews to you have no right to live among us to then it culminates with you have no right to live. Because what they did was they started to demonize the Jewish people. The, the demonization of the Jewish people in Europe primarily stemmed from anti-Semitic teachings out of the Christian church and trying to blame the Jewish people for the death of Jesus. This, of course, is ridiculous, where Jesus says no one takes his life in John chapter 10, that he lays down his own life. And, of course, no one would be saved if Jesus didn't die. Um, Peter even gives indication that Jesus died by the Gentile rulers. Of course, this is Pontius Pilate, by the Jewish ruler, by Herod, and by the Gentile people and the Jewish people with the idea of he died by everybody, for everybody. But the Jewish people became blamed for this and that allowed that gave the, that gave the uh the um Europeans justification uh, of course unrighteous uh, and and false but justification to persecute the Jewish people even to death well that's why getting back to I think what Aaron said I mean the church is void of what their history is and what their Grafted into, if you look at the book of Acts, the Jewish, the church was started by Jewish believers who gave up everything to follow the Messiah. They were kicked out of the synagogue, kicked out of their communities. They suffered physical uh, and mental uh, duress, and some died for their faith. To share that faith, that truth with the Gentiles. And now we're in a time when the church, the Gentile church, has the obligation to pay that back. They have the obligation to to help the Jewish people, to provoke them to a godly jealousy, the same ways the Jews did to the Gentiles 2,000 years ago. And the reason why there is so much anti-Semitism today is because the church has failed to be the church and stand up for their heritage, and for the people who gave everything for them. But the scriptures are true. All Israel will be saved, and how will they be saved? When the Gentile church provokes them to that godly jealousy, and they will see the truth of the Messiah. 
then he will come back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts? I think it's worth just thinking through when it comes to ministering to our Jewish friends. Okay, I have some Jewish friends. I want to think about talking to them. And you start talking about Jesus. And unfortunately, oftentimes one of the the quickest, it, it could be a cop-out, it could be because of wounding, it could whatever it is, one of the, the greatest obstacles to a real conversation about Jesus as the Messiah is uh, some of the horrific things that Jewish people have experienced at the hands of people who have claimed to be followers of Jesus, regardless of if they were or not, that it was still under that guise and it's left a mark. It's left a wounding. And so I think acknowledging that that is legit, acknowledging, uh, that, that those feelings are valid, but also pointing out though, uh, when we're thinking about Jesus, right, we're thinking uh, about the, the climax, the fulfillment, the, the one in whom the, the fullness of what it means to be Jewish comes to a head, right? This is, this is not abandoning my Jewishness for the sake of following this Christian God. This is uh, coming to the one in whom it, it, uh, we, we see the, the fulfillment of what it means to be truly Jewish, right? And so there's just a sense in which, one of the, unfortunately, one of the greatest stumbling blocks to, to Jewish ministry uh, has been anti-Semitism. And unfortunately, some of that anti-Semitism has come right out of uh, church circles. Right. And I think the church, I'm going to take uh, read a verse from Romans 9 that Paul addressed the church at Rome. And he said, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. That's in present tense, guys. That's still here today. They just need the fullness of the Messiah. So how can we persecute a people that God has made such a promise to? Yeah, so, so good, Tom Berkowitz. Thank you. We're going to take a little break. I've got Matt, Aaron, Trevor, and Tom. We're talking about anti-Semitism, and we're going to do more of that after a short break. We'll be right back. Hello, Cheerful Givers. It is always amazing that you live so intentionally and give so sacrificially and are so generous in all that you do, whether it's financial gifts or it's your time and talents and resources God has given you. You are making an incredible difference for the kingdom. And kingdom advances through prayer and giving. And we don't want to have the year end without inviting you to uh, make that end-of-the-year tax deductible gift to help support Faith Radio. Your gift right now keeps us spreading the good news in front of a lot of people. So thank you for giving by clicking the link in the show notes or giving at myfaithradio.com. Thank you so much. Welcome to the show. We're talking today about anti-Semitism with Matt and Aaron and Trevor and Tom. We like to uh, join uh, around the table and find out what the Lord is showing us, what future promises uh, there is for Israel. We're going to go to the scripture for that. But maybe before we do that, uh, one of you, 
and I'm looking your direction, uh, Aaron Broughton, is maybe give us a little brief historical framework on anti-Semitism. So as we've talked about anti-Semitism basically being baseless Jewish hatred, um, a lot of Christians, a lot of churches really maybe don't consider uh, the history uh, connection, the historical connection between uh, uh, the Jewish people and the church. And uh, and so I think it'd be good to just kind of examine it. This isn't a, a great treatise on that, but nonetheless, I think there's a couple of historical events that are worth noting that I think a lot of Christians just kind of overlook or maybe say, oh, that wasn't us type of thing. So when you talk to a, your Jewish friend, you share with them about Jesus and say, wait a minute, it was under Jesus, that's how we were persecuted. Our forefathers were killed and forced to move and everything else. And that definitely did happen. So for, a, a, I think, an average Christian, especially one in the United States, they're thinking, well, wait a minute, we didn't do anything like that. And so in the Jewish mind, you got to think of this, they think of it in worldview terms. If you were born in India, you're Hindu. If you're born in Germany, you're, you're a Christian. You think of it in that regard. And so um, there are a couple of different things you can look at. For example, the, the Crusades that happened back in 1099, 1299, that area, era, where uh, Christian crusaders, they came back to take the holy places in, in uh, Jerusalem and Israel, for example. And along the way, Jewish communities were there, and they were basically killed simply because they were Christ killers. That was the mantra. Uh, skip now a couple hundred years after that, you got the Inquisition, where uh, people who did not conform to the state church at the time were forced under penalty of death to to convert or to be moved. Uh, a classic case out of that is in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, but that was the same year that Ferdinand and Isabella, king and queen of Spain, uh, issued the Alhambra decree and forcibly removing the Jewish people out of Spain and in part some of the properties and monies that were confiscated from the Jewish people helped fund the Columbus's voyage to the Americas. A dear friend of mine who lives in Israel now, he's a tour guide, dear friend of mine, uh, his family is one of those who was forced to move from Spain in 1492. Moving on, you have the writings of Martin Luther. Right before he died, he wrote of the Jews and their lies, talking about how uh, synagogues should be destroyed, rabbis should be imprisoned, holy books should be burned. And that was, in a sense, uh, one of the uh, rationales that Adolf Hitler had of creating what eventually became known as the final solution. Um, so one thing I'll, I'll say as well, Roman uh, historian Tacitus he describes the Jewish people in back in the first couple centuries after Christ. He describes it this way. They're different from us because of their religion and of their traditions, their culture. And for a lot of these different periods of anti-Semitism, that was it. Hitler's anti-Semitism brings it up a notch where he included a nationalistic reason. It's either us or them. He viewed himself as the savior of the world. And the way to combat that was to get away from the Jewish people. So what I'm trying to bring in all this is that. For your, let's say, a Minnesotan Christian, you meet your Jewish friend, and it's, I want to tell you about Jesus. Well, what about all this history? It's worth noting to frame the conversation in this historical, these historical events that happen. And it said, first of all, give sympathy. Give, give your heart and love. Said, man, I am sorry that took place under the name of Jesus. But the message of Jesus is very different from the people that did that. And then you have that opportunity to show through your light and testimony who Jesus really is. Yeah, and it's important, I think, also to emphasize that anti-Semitism is not limited to the Christian community. Of course, that's our audience that we're speaking to, so we're addressing some of that history. But even starting in the scriptures where we see uh, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, uh, who again was a pagan king, wanted to el eliminate the Jewish people. We see that continue with within paganism, whether it be Assyria or Babylon or Persia with the book of Esther, where we see what happened with Haman. We see that 
actually in atheist countries. So in communist Russia, for example, in the Soviet Union, they persecuted the Jewish people heavily, killed countless Jewish people under under communism, atheism. Uh, also, Jewish people we see today being uh, heavily persecuted uh, under Islam. Uh, a lot of people don't recognize this, but uh, all of the neighboring states of Israel used to have decent-sized Jewish populations. Each and every one of those countries kicked every single Jew out of those countries. And kept their money. Yeah. And their property. Yeah. Wow. And so And so we see it, it's not limited to Christianity. It, it's a it's a worldwide problem. The the only thing that unites all of these different people is their individuals that are not wanting to line up with God's will. Yeah. I mean, that's in the Israeli-Palestinian um, argument. They say that Israel kicked out 600,000 uh, Arabs from the country. They never mentioned the 800,000 that were uh, Jews that were kicked out of all the neighboring uh, Arab countries, stripped of everything. And a lot of them had to walk like from Yemen. We have friends who walked from Yemen to Israel, their parents, to get there. They never talk about that. The difference is Israel assimilated those Jews into their society, into their country, where the Arabs never assimilated or took care of the Palestinians that left Israel voluntarily, most of them. They were told to leave by the Arab countries. Hmm. So this hatred has been festered over decades, literally seven, eight decades. And it's festering now, and we're seeing that in the conflict with Hamas and Israel. What does it feel like right now in your own hometown, your your own community? Uh, are you feeling it like never before? In my decades on this earth, I'm not going to say my age, <laughs> um, I've never experienced anything as intense and as deep as I'm feeling this now. Uh, when I was a boy... Uh, my father told us that Minneapolis was the center of anti-Semitism in the country. You know, I didn't see that, but he told me that. Uh, about 20 years later, uh, Moish Rosen, who was a founder of Jews for Jesus, came to town. And he said, hey, Berkowitz, you know that Minneapolis is a center of anti-Semitism in the United States? So it's always been there. I talked to my cousin uh, uh couple weeks ago and I asked her how she was doing. Tom, it's always been here, but now the lid is taken off and it's overt. My daughter got caught into a, uh, I call it a pro-Hamas demonstration at the U of M. And she said, I've never been so afraid of my life, dad. And I think if they would have known I had Jewish blood, they would have killed me. That's how much the hate was. Now, I don't know if that was literal or not, but she could feel the hate. She's never felt such vemin before. Mm. Yeah, federal agents in uh, in the religious part of uh, St. Louis Park uh, advising people to re to remove the mezuzahs. These are uh, these are little boxes that Jewish people put in the corner of their homes, according to Deuteronomy chapter six, because they didn't want them to have indicators that Jewish people live there because there was a real threat. 
um, you feel it, Bill. I think that that you feel it. Uh, it's opened up opportunities as we shared this before to share the gospel with Jewish people, which is amazing because if they see that you love them in the midst of so much hatred, it's an incredibly important and incredibly powerful opportunity to share why you love them. And it's because of what Jesus did in our lives. Um, but but uh, to Tom's point, and I, I've, I've lived uh, not many less decades, but many little less, but... Uh, um, Trevor, you can and, be my son. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and and uh, and and that, that statement can be made from others to me here in our studio <laughs> today too. So, but uh, um, but I I had never experienced anything like what we're experiencing now too. And there's a heaviness to it, you know. There's some uh, conversations, very unpleasant conversations that we've I've gotten into in recent years. But over the last even couple months, it's uh, it's increased tremendously from there. And to some secular Jewish friends, they'd never felt so betrayed by Gentiles who share the same political ideology that they do. Um, People that they befriended, other social justice groups that they helped fund and gave money to turned on them so viciously they feel disillusioned and... I feel bad, but this is now the proper time to share the truth of Jesus with them. We can't just lament this. We need to acknowledge it and move forward with the truth, the only truth that can set them free. Thank you, Tom Berkowitz. Matt, you have something to say as well. Well, what I was thinking about is even, you know, Aaron, you might feel the same way that I do in leading kind of a church community of just the uniqueness of this time in terms of uh, opportunity. Like there is, as Tom said, uh, a lot of Jewish people uh, who are asking real questions. And I think anytime there's a time of suffering, but especially for your own people, you ask the real questions. And I'm not encouraging anybody to to take advantage of the suffering of Jewish people in order to to somehow leverage the gospel to get a notch on your belt. What what I'm saying is when people are asking real questions about what it means to uh, know God, to have peace, to... Uh, to to actually be a Jew. What does that actually mean at the end of the day? Uh, I think that uh, Jesus is the answer, the, the, the one that we should be pointing to in all of those circumstances. And so I feel, as a ministry leader, the, the weight of having a, a strong uh, biblical response uh, to the circumstances around me, one that is uh, thoroughly uh, pointing people to Jesus, but one that is, uh, in the midst of that, uh, thoroughly compassionate to what they're actually going through in the moment. Absolutely. There, there is definitely a heaviness in the air in a lot of churches. And and I will say this, and I think we can all agree that most churches are not giving this issue of anti-Semitism much thought, much focus. And uh, so this is something that we definitely uh, bring up and to think through it and to teach it biblically uh, God's plan for Israel and that they're, yes, they're going through suffering, but there is hope. There is a light at the end of the tunnel for the Jewish people. God will not forsake the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Right? And the hate is so thick. These two dear brothers have a responsibility for their church also, because as they stand up and and talk the truth and they put symbols outside their church for that, they will receive persecution. And I think, Aaron, you've already receive some yeah definitely we've uh uh one thing we've done actually shortly after the israel hamas conflict started um we put a sign out on our digital sign pray for the peace of jerusalem a simple message is from scripture psalm 122 6 
And uh, we have received actually several phone calls from the Jewish community just expressing thanks. Thank you for doing that. Um, I haven't heard much negative. However, we were through a couple contacts. We were able to get some signs um, that say we stand for Israel. And uh, they all went. Uh, all, all these signs went. People put them up in their homes or in their yards. And we had one of our gentlemen um, who put it out in his yard. And one of someone in the community took his sign, threw it in the driveway, threw it out in the woods. They put it back. And then he came from work one day and he found out there was anti-Semitic graffiti all over that. Mm. And we're just out of the in, out of the Minneapolis metro area where this is taking place. And yes, I'm not surprised, but at the same time, this just reveals a little bit of the heart what's going on in the community. So uh, to our to our church members' credit, he said, "Give me another sign. That ain't gonna stop me." <laughs> I like that. We're gonna take a little break. We are uh, talking about anti-Semitism today. At least two Jews and a Gentile. We've got Matt, Aaron, Trevor, and Tom. We'll be right back after a short break. Welcome to the show. If you just tuned in, we're talking today about anti-Semitism, very uh, important topic that we all should be uh, having a full understanding of and being able to um, know what's going on in the world. And I'm awfully glad I've got uh, at least two Jews and a Gentile. I've got my Jewish believer friends, uh, Matt, Trevor, and Tom, and Aaron Broughton is the Gentile in the group. So let's, uh, gentlemen, if we can talk about the future promises of Israel and Maybe we can go right into God's Word and find out what uh, what the, what it teaches. Trevor, I'm looking at you. <laughs> yeah. Well, so um, I think this is this is significant, right? Because uh, in every instance where we read about the coming of Jesus, Jesus comes back to a Jewish Jerusalem that turns nationally to recognize Jesus as the promised Messiah. We read about this in Zechariah chapter 12, where in Zechariah 12, in the first nine verses, it very clearly talks about the nations, all the nations of the world gathering up against Israel. Uh, In verse 9, after the Lord intervenes in this attack, it says, It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And in accordance with this, in verse 10, the very next verse, as the Lord is speaking here, it makes this comment, And I will pour on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. This is God speaking, mind you, and this is written hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. And it says, Then they will look on me, God says, whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. And it says, and in that day there shall be great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning of Hadad Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself and their wives by themselves. It continues, but it's just Jewish families in Jerusalem turn to pierced God 
in accordance with his return. And so we see that there's a Jewish Jerusalem that the Lord returns to. Also, Jesus makes this very important statement at the end of Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 37. After he is criticizing the leadership of Israel in Matthew chapter 23, in verse 37, he goes on and makes this statement, this plea to the people. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you are not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. You shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Baruch Hashem It's a Hebrew idiom for welcome. Jesus says that he isn't coming until his people cry out to him, from Jerusalem. Uh, Of course, we have Romans chapter 11. I won't go into detail about that right now, but there's multiple sections of scripture that give clear indication that the return of Jesus correlates with a national turning of Israel to the promised Messiah. And so then when we look at why anti-Semitism, why this desire to eliminate the Jewish people, why this desire to keep them out of the land, their promised land that they were given at one point in time. Uh, and uh, so why this? Why this fight? Well, because it if the Jewish people are not allowed to return to Jerusalem, then they cannot cry out to the Lord from there. If they don't exist, they can't cry out from there. So when we see all different religious uh, groupings, I think, throughout history at some form of anti-Semitism, maybe with some exceptions I'm not aware of. Uh, when we see all different nations in the world develop some form of anti-Semitism against the Jewish people historically, all the major kingdoms throughout history at one point in time that I am aware of that would be close to Israel or interact with the Jewish people at one time propagating anti-Semitism. Why all of these different things? Well, the, the only clear-cut reason, according to Scripture, is they're opposing God's will and God's will ultimately of the return of the Messiah. Amen. And it has to be an invitation. Jesus said, I will not return until you invite me back. That's what it says in Matthew twenty three thirty nine. It's not a hostile takeover. And I think that's what the church is thinking. It's a hostile takeover by, by Jesus when he returns. No, it's an invitation, which is very parallel with uh, the Scripture's David being Jesus's father according to the flesh, when he ran from Jerusalem, when Absalom raised up against him, he went out through the eastern gate, across the Kidron Valley, over the Mount of Olives, and after he was uh, the uprising was put down, Absalom was killed. David did not return until all of Israel came and invited him back and ushered him in back to the throne. That's the picture that Jesus is is telling will happen when he comes back the second time. Yeah, and Tom, to your point, in that section in 2 Samuel chapter 19, it's it, all Israel first asked for, for David to come back, but there was one tribe that didn't ask for David to come back. And so David said that he would not come back until this tribe in particular asked for him. And that's his own people. Hmm. That was Judah. Yes. And so Jesus good, says, good point. Yeah. And so Jesus, so similarly, Jesus says that he's not coming back till his own people ask for him. 
And and so why this fight? Why this hatred? Well, uh, ultimately, it's that the world hates, to Aaron's point earlier, what God loves. And what does God love more than his only son? I think it's worth getting into Romans 11. Should we look at Romans 11 just for a second? Yeah. So I think the question then stands, okay, in light of all this anti-Semitism, and and I even think about just, you know, being in, in Jewish ministry in general, like, uh, ministry and, and ministering to the Jewish community is uh, sometimes challenging in the name of Jesus, and, um, and and so just asking, okay, well, what what do we do? What, what you know, as we uh, as we think about what God's doing with Israel, what are we looking forward to? What well, we talked about, you know, Jesus returning, being welcomed to a Jewish Jerusalem. But but I think when we think about the the salvation of the Jewish people, uh, Romans nine through eleven really digs into some of that because even in the Apostle Paul's day. Uh, you know, he's got this situation, he himself being Jewish, trying to minister his own, to his own people in kind of uh, like fashion to Jesus. We're seeing a lot of uh, rejection going on. And, and so his people are like, OK, well, if Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, why are all these people rejecting him? And what does Romans 11 tell us? Uh, that there is a mystery that has been revealed that uh, that a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so it appears that there is what I call this dance of salvation, right? That that Israel rejected the gospel so the gospel could go to the nations. And once all of those from the nations ha- that are going to come to faith come to faith, then it says uh, then there will be that this hardening that is lifted. And in this way, all Israel, not every Israelite, right? There's no uh, salvation privilege for being Jewish, but all Israel, this national turning, uh, will be saved. There will be a time of of corporate repentance, and at, at when Jesus is recognized as the Savior. And so, I think in light of all of this, as as we think about anti-Semitism and and the enemy trying to thwart uh, God's plans, whether it be spiritual enemies or or humans that are that are enemies of God, I think that we we need to take hope in this fact right here that God will have His way, and that. There will be many uh, people uh, that are are Jewish, many people from Israel uh, that will, in fact, recognize Jesus and that will share eternity with him. Yeah, and and good point, Matt, because uh, we don't want any individual to think that there's salvation apart from Jesus. Uh, People aren't saved because they're Jewish, but there's a point in time to where the Jewish people turn to accept Jesus. Right. And the context that Paul was writing in, the, uh, the Roman church was started by Jewish believers who experienced Pentecost in Acts 2. But then somewhere around 48 AD uh, to 51, they were the emperor Claudius ordered every Jew out of Rome. So they all had to leave. Well, when he died, that edict was canceled. They came back, and now during those few years that they were gone, Gentiles rose up and they were the leaders. And now the two were knocking heads. And Paul came in and that's where he talked about Gentile uh, arrogance, Jewish arrogance, how they had to humble and work themselves together. And what was the value of both of them? But they both came the same way through Jesus. And if the natural branches were broken off from the olive tree, they have to be regrafted in, and he can do that. And he can cut off the the grafted in ones if they stop believing. I think I mean, that's he's God. I think that's a good application point in light of the anti-Semitic dynamic that we see going on today. Even just the war in Israel that we're seeing today, 
when you have Jewish and non-Jewish people in ancient Rome in the church, you know, it's not a ton of people, but it's a, it's a significant group of people and they're struggling to get along and to do life together. What does Paul say is the common ground that unites them? Number one, it's their common sinfulness and brokenness. And number two, it is their common need of Jesus, the Messiah. And it's yeah. on that ground uh, that they, they all stand even, right? It's on that ground where they can all stand righteous, being united to God and to one another. And so I think about even then, but but now as we're thinking uh, about Arabs and Jews that, that are going against one another, the reality is uh, in the midst of this, the only solution to anti-Semitism, number one, but but conflict between people groups in general is going to be the gospel. Right. Yeah. Well, when we were growing up, it was Goyashakov, a Gentile mind frame versus a Yiddish a Jewish mind frame. That has to be put aside mm. as we, the great dividing wall has been broken by the blood of Jesus. Yeah. And that's got to be our common point right I, there. I think practically speaking, the, the key to fight against anti-Semitism is humility. Right. And uh, when we put our egos aside and we look to Scripture, and we allow God's spirit to lead us and uh, bring us in the bond of peace. Well said. Mm-hmm. Right, well said indeed. We're going to take a little break. You are listening to at least two Jews and a Gentile, and we'll be right back. How about make a wonderful commitment to yourself this year by reading through the Bible Maybe not even once, but maybe twice. Say things to yourself like, I am going to create a new habit that maybe I have not had in years. And I'm going to commit to it and I'm going to stick with it. You've always said you wanted to, so how about make it this year where you do it. Spending more time in God's Word. And you can do it and we can help. So all you have to do is get your Bible in a year plan right now. And you can do that right over at myfaithradio.com. Great to be gathered with my brothers, at least two Jews and a Gentile. I've got three Jewish believers and a Gentile. I've got Matt, I have Aaron, he's our token Gentile, Trevor and Tom, and we are talking uh, about anti-Semitism. And let's now, if we can, uh, get into God's Word and and talk uh, about replacement um, theology. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so replacement theology is kind of a buzzword a little bit in some circles, uh, but kind of to, to summarize replacement theology, what it would say is uh, in basic terms, the church has replaced Israel, right? That uh, whatever God was doing with Israel, uh, he's done with it and he's kind of moved on uh, to the church. And I, we would argue, I would venture to say, all of us around this table, uh, with maybe some nuance that that is in error. That's not what the scriptures uh, would say. Well, you know, I, I, we can acknowledge, I think this is true when we're reading through the, the New Testament, that because of what Jesus has done under the new covenant, there are some aspects in which the church adopts components of the identity of Israel. We could say, uh, like First Peter, when they are called a holy nation, a royal priesthood, this is Israelite language applied to them. That doesn't revoke the the promises that God made uniquely uh, right. to Israel. I know, Matt, that they take replacement theology and they call it fulfillment theology. What are some of the other things they call it? There's more two or three different right. su- supersessionism. Yep. Supersessionism. Yeah. yeah. So the idea is that it's. Uh, 
it's even more so than replacement is the that the church is superseded yes. uh, the role of, of Israel right. is the yeah. idea. Yeah. So when you talk about even fulfillment theology, I think we can all agree around this table that there are promises made in the Hebrew scriptures fulfilled in Jesus that the church broadly benefits from. I think that we can all say that, but that's different than saying uh, that all of the promises made uniquely to Israel uh, have been fulfilled. What we see is that there's still some yet to be fulfilled to them. The thing that always troubled me is they take all the church who believes in uh, replacement theology, they take all the blessings, but they leave the curses on the Jews. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. It's a one-way street there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Being being Jewish is, doesn't uh, doesn't always feel like it's a, a benefit, right? Right. But, Growing yeah. up, my father said, "Next time, pick the Swedes." <laughs> uh, there's a song that uh, I remember growing up Sunday school uh, hearing every promise in the book is mine every chapter every verse every line and so the idea is that every promise in the book is mine and, and there's some people say all promises are yes and amen which they are but are all promises and I'm speaking to the church and my Christian brothers and sisters are all promises in the Bible given to us mm. and I think if you take the Bible for and we encourage our people to take the Bible for what it says and it's a natural reading uh, in its in its hermeneutic, its interpretation. So there are promises that God made. Did God so love the world that He gave His only begotten Son? That there's a promise that did fulfill. Uh, there there are promises. For example, let's go to the Abrahamic covenant, though, where God says, "I'm going to bless you, make you a great nation, and then I'm going to give you also a little bit later the land that you're on, where right. every right. everywhere where you step is that given to the church as well." And you have specific geographical boundaries that are given as well. Well, does that apply to the church? And all of a sudden you got some, well, does every promise in the book, is is that really mine or not? So yeah. that's, it, there's some confusion. Paul kind of sums it up in Romans 15, 8 and 9. He says, for I tell you that Messiah became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. If he's not true to the promises of the patriarchs, what would ever make us believe our salvation is secure? And he made three specific promises to Abraham, the land, his physical descendants, uh, descendants and also the Gentiles. So if Israel is replaced and Israel then is rel- uh, sent to the dustbin of history, <laughs> then he's a liar. Yeah. And then uh, why would I ever believe that my salvation is secure? Yeah. Yeah. So if I were to just to recap what you guys are talking, replacement theology uh, believe that the, the, the Jews are no longer God's chosen people. And yeah. God doesn't have a specific future with them. That's correct. All yeah. Right. Yep. And there's sometimes some nuance to that. But you're okay. Right. Yeah. yeah that's, a, that's not flying in this room. Well, there's a there's a clear biblical uh, problem with this that we see in Romans chapter eleven. So so in Romans uh, chapter eleven, right after the section that we read, um, which I believe was in verse uh, twenty six about all Israel being saved, uh, when we come to to verse twenty eight. Speaking of the people of Israel, and this is, of course, after Jesus' death and resurrection and the church has been established, this is what God's word says about Israel. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Election, Mm -hmm. being chosen. So clearly, Israel is still 
God's chosen people, again, to Matt's point earlier, chosen for what purpose? Um, ultimately, it seems to me, um, one of the one of the mo- the foundational purposes for Israel is the coming of the Lord in His first coming biologically, and in His second coming and crying out to Him. Right, and He finishes that thought with, "For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable." So you got to deal with that. Yeah, I think practically, as we think about this, there there's two routes. Uh, one maybe you might say a positive route and a negative route. Uh, that replacement theology takes that are both detrimental uh, theologically. I think the first route that it takes is what I would call the negative route, uh, where it says the church has replaced Israel, it's done with Israel, uh, and God has no more plans and purposes for it. Well, number one, that's just patently false when you read your Bible. I mean, that you, you can't get around that. As Aaron was talking about, like we have to look at these texts, these promises, and say, okay, some of these are uniquely to Israel. And if God's going to be faithful, then he's got to fulfill those. But there's also uh, another layer that people don't sometimes recognize, and I would call this a positive replacement theology. And I'm not saying it because it's positive. I'm saying it because people grow in an affinity towards Israel, and they'll read texts like Romans 11, and they'll say, I've been grafted into Israel, missing the fact uh, that Israel and the church are talked about distinctly in the book of Romans and missing the fact that the olive tree is not Israel. The olive tree is the complete family of God, because what we see is in fact, some Israelites are taken out, right? And so what what we need to recognize is that the church does not replace Israel, nor does it become Israel. And when we, when we miss that point that you can really get kind of mixed up in your expectations for even your own Christian practice, but also in terms of anti-Semitic uh, tendencies, those can kind of develop over time if you think that Israel has no purpose. Right. And they say the land is no longer uh, relevant right. for Israel. Well, there's over 70 references in the New Testament that God talks about the land promises staying with Israel. Right. I mean, that's a lot of... God is in the real estate business. I know people say he's not, but... He says he is, and that's who we fall. So the church in Israel are, aren't to be confused or used interchangeably. Correct. I think better language would be to say the people of God includes both people from Israel and from the nation. Oh, I like that even better. What a beautiful note to end on, Matt. Thank you so much for that. That is really all the time we have. Uh, you guys are awesome. I appreciate so much gathering for this segment. It is uh, something I learn a ton from. I hope my questions... Uh, are informed. I try my best. Uh, you guys are very smart, and uh, I appreciate your understanding of, of the Hebrew perspective uh, and Jewish traditions. All very helpful, and you guys are amazing students of God's Word. We will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.